Welcome to Navigating the Pandemic, Past, Present, and Future, the show that explores the novel coronavirus and how it impacts our daily lives. I'm your host, Kat, a current undergraduate at Emory University studying anthropology and global health. Today's show features Katherine Hamm, a leading voice in travel and media. She's the former travel editor for the Los Angeles Times and became a special contributor in June of 2020. Hamm has twice received individual Lowell Thomas Awards and the travel section has been recognized seven times during her tenure as editor. She currently mostly writes about travel consumer news. Thanks for being on the show today, Catherine, and I look forward to discussing air travel and industry changes related to the pandemic. Thank you and greetings from sunny Los Angeles. All right, so let's move into the first question. I recently read your article, What Air Travel Has in Store for Us, through the LA Times, and you do a great job of discussing how the pandemic has driven travel demand. So personal and business travel, obviously, have really seen a drastic decrease over the past 12 months. Do you think that we'll continue to see the impact of bans and restrictions on travel in 2021? I think we're already seeing them. The OAG, which used to stand for Official Airline Guide in the days when we had so few flights that you could put all of the schedules into a little booklet, but now it's all online. So they just go by OAG. Uh, They do a terrific job with airline analytics. They're based in uh, Britain. And I was just reading this morning that the number of flights that they thought they would have in the beginning weeks of 2021 is significantly less than what they had hoped for. And by they, I mean the airlines. And so the continuing uh, subtraction of seats from the airline offerings pretty much tells us that there is a huge impact, not only with restrictions, particularly in Europe, but also with the continuing surge. In addition to that, of course, all news for a news person is supposed to be local. But in California, where I live, and in Los Angeles County, where the pandemic is raging, we've been instructed by our governor that we should not be traveling more than 120 miles. And so, unless it's for an essential reason. So there is definitely, definitely a downturn in air travel that I think none of us really anticipated. I see. Thank you so much for that in-depth response. And it definitely seems like right now, a lot of travel speculation for personal and business travel is probably going to be contingent on vaccination and testing practices. As we move forward into the discussion of that, I want to first pick your brain a little bit about the airline industry's new safety standards. Looking back at past catastrophes like 9-11, they greatly altered, at least in the United States, the airline industry safety standards. Do you have any insight on the safety measures airlines have made in response to COVID-19? And do you think that any of these changes will continue beyond the pandemic? I think you're absolutely right uh, about how 9-11 really changed the face of airline safety and brought it into the discussion. For the pandemic, The difficulties have been significant for airlines, of course, from a financial standpoint, but from a safety standpoint. Early on, I asked the FAA, how come you can say, hey, you can't smoke on planes, but you won't say you must wear a mask? And the FAA said, health policy is not our purview. The uh, Department of Transportation is also or also has been up until uh, probably the 20th of January, not in favor of more airline regulations. So the regulation of masks has been left to the individual airlines. 
And that is an incredible burden for flight personnel, simply because who wants to be the mask police on the plane, first of all? And second of all, it is by airline. So there is no federal mandate for masks on planes. Therefore, they don't have the weight of law, federal law, behind them. And so it makes their job, I think, even more difficult. We've all read stories about planes that have pulled back to the gate and discharged passengers and have banned people because they've refused to comply. I think that if there is no federal mandate from the Department of Transportation, we will continue to see that. And that in itself is frightening because one of the key issues in all of this is safety. Before the pandemic, the safety issue was, oh, I'm going to fill in the blank country. Will I be safe there? The safety question now is, I'm getting on an airplane. Will I be safe? And there's no way with the regulation the way it is, we can feel 100% safe that we won't be exposed to somebody who refuses to comply. So I think when Pete Buttigieg becomes the transportation secretary, he's going to have a lot of safety issues to address, and that would be the primary one, I think. I see. Now, that was really insightful, especially I appreciate the example of smoking regulations and mask wearing. I think a lot of people don't really realize or think about the fact that smoking laws on planes are federally mandated, and we don't have anything like that about masks, especially when you're talking about nobody wants to be the mask police. That's not a fun job, and we shouldn't have to put that burden on airline personnel. So moving forward, we know that the safety standards have been altered, but people are also talking about new regulations on airlines concerning vaccines and and less about masks. Now that we have vaccines that are available and being disseminated, you know, there have been a lot of responses as airlines discuss requiring passengers to be vaccinated in order to travel in coming months. And based on your commentary and the LA Times article, Should the COVID-19 vaccine figure into the future of flying, do you foresee airlines mandating vaccinations or governments maybe placing border entry requirements that are conditional on proof of vaccination? Well, there are two schools of thought, and this is an incredibly complex question. My travel career dates back to my childhood Um, which was a long time ago. (laughs) And um, uh, we were living overseas. So we were living in Southeast Asia and we were required to carry vaccination records. There was the famous yellow card that showed that you had been vaccinated against yellow fever. We carried that, but we carried also all of our shot records every time we traveled. And we had to show those documents in order to be admitted to whatever, whatever carrier we were taking. So At the time, I I was young enough that it didn't even occur to me that this was a, a violation of my privacy. It was just something you had to do. In November, the chairman of Qantas Airlines said that nobody would be flying on his flights, international flights, without having been vaccinated. Other airlines have not fallen in line with that. And I think there is such an issue with individual rights and what airlines can and cannot mandate in opposition to how desperate they are to get back to normal, to get customers back. Do you want to risk alienating your customers by saying you must have a vaccination? There's a significant number of people, of course, who, first of all, won't believe in the vaccine or for some reason cannot take it. So what do you do with those people? 
I am not sure that an air an airline is certainly because it is a private business can mandate whatever rules it likes. At the federal level, I'm not sure that that's going to happen. Uh, I'm not even sure that Qantas is going to go forward with that. Do I think it's a good idea? I certainly would rather be in a, a plane full of people who've been vaccinated than not. But I do think that there are some significant legal concerns there that we have not be- yet begun to discuss. However, airlines or destinations can fill part of that gap in. For example, if you're going to Hawaii now, which obviously we can't from California, but if you were going, there's either a mandatory 10-day quarantine when you get there, or you must have a negative COVID test within X number of hours of your departure. That's not the airline mandating it. That's the destination. So perhaps destinations can do the work or be in concert with airlines saying, you can certainly get on a plane, you just can't come into our space, whatever, whether that's foreign or domestic, without this vaccination. And thus, it relieves a bit of the burden, I think, on airlines. It's a hugely complex question, far beyond my limited legal knowledge. And I simply don't know what the right answer is. For me, the minute the vaccine is available, I'm taking it, and then I'm getting on a plane and going somewhere <laughs> <laughs> when, it, when, when we're allowed to. But um, that's, that's just me. No, I completely agree. It's definitely a really difficult question to, to break apart. And it's probably going to take, like you were saying, a multifaceted approach between the actual place you're trying to visit and airlines. And these two entities are going to have to work together because it is important to have a negative COVID-19 test contingent to entry for a lot of places. It'll be interesting to see what kind of individual mandates airlines are moving forward with. I've read preliminarily, and this is just you know people hypothesizing, that some airlines are, are testing technology to streamline health documentation, kind of like what you were talking about with the yellow card. And so it'll be interesting to see nowadays, you know, we have mobile health apps and and new tech. And so that'll definitely streamline the process. But um, I do kind of want to move forward with another question. And this is, again, concerns vaccinations. And since they're being disseminated now, we've seen that the CDC recently lifted the cruise ship no sale order in the United States. And so like you were saying, I think so many people are itching to travel. We've been sedentary for basically a year now. And it kind of feels like there's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel now with vaccinations and, and people thinking and planning trips ahead for the end of the year. How do you expect that the travel industry will recover in the next eight to 12 months? You know, if you had asked me at the beginning of 2020 what I thought the travel year was going to be like, I would have said, oh, it's going to be the best ever. Of course, that was incredibly <laughs> wrong. So uh, keeping that in mind, I think that in the next eight to 12 months, we are going to see... Uh, perhaps a slight resurgence in travel. But again, the primary issue in people's minds is, is it safe? Is it safe for me to go to XYZ place? And I think that's going to figure into it quite a bit. By the end of the year, several experts have said travel probably will start coming back. It will not be, of course, what it was in 2020, nor any of the previous five years, not yet anyway. But there is, as you suggest, a huge amount of pent-up demand. And one of the things that's different, I think, now, and I have said this before, after 9-11, 
people said travel was a right. You know, 9-11 was different from this pandemic in that the airspace was closed only five days. We've now been basically closed, essentially closed, much, much longer than that. But people came back and said travel is a right. Well, in the months that we've had to cool down from our travel fervor, I think we now are back to thinking of travel as a privilege. And it's a privilege to be used carefully. We must be better stewards of that privilege. Um, And I'm talking about in terms of being cognizant of the effects of COVID-19, but also one of the benefits, if you can say that about COVID-19, is that it has reduced to a certain extent the over-tourism that was damaging some of the most magnificent places in the world. And so I think one of the good benefits of this is travel may be more mindful. And I think that's what we need in the coming months and in the coming years to make sure that we preserve the places we love and to make sure that our enjoyment is thorough, not limited by hordes and mobs. Even before the pandemic, we saw places taking advantage of what was a negative event and turning it into a positive event in order to help curb some of the over-tourism that was damaging that destination. Uh, One of those was uh, Kauai, which in, I believe it was April 2018, suffered significant storm damage. And one of its parks, Haena State Park, was closed. And during the time that it was closed, there were opportunities to regulate tourism, not only because hordes do damage the area, but also because it's kind of unfair to the residents who live there. And so they have put restrictions in. Hanama Bay on Oahu has done the same thing with hordes of of tourists. It it is very closely regulating that area. Um, Haleakala on Maui is also regulating. And I think they've seen some significant benefits because I think you tend to enjoy a place when you can really soak in its ambiance instead of being, you know, crushed with a horde of people. So I think there are significant upsides to this. And I hope that people can use this time, this pause that we've had to begin rethinking strategies to ensure the enjoyment of our precious destinations for everybody. I love that, especially the emphasis on preservation of sites and, you know, limiting hordes of tourists inundating a lot of of areas. We see travel as a privilege and less of a right now. And it's important to preserve the places that we visit in order to keep visiting them and preserving them for future generations. And I kind of want to ask one more question that's a little bit related to travel industry in the next year. Mm -hmm. Within the United States, are you, do you foresee more domestic travel and things like road trips? Because I know personally, I've seen a lot of people have gone camping or they're doing road trips to a state park that's an hour away. Do you think that'll continue or do you think people are maybe ready to kind of get out and fly and and see bigger and better places? I think that they're going to do both. Um, (laughs) Seeing bigger places, maybe better places. I don't think there's anything better than some of our natural national and state parks. They're amazing. There's an amazing number of state parks. One of the benefits of a road trip, of course, is that you get to set your own pace. But also, many times, if you're visiting a park, it's outside. Again, because of the pandemic, numbers of people have been limited or people just are not coming. 
I think that that is a wonderful vacation to see everything that you can possibly see in the West would take you a lifetime. I'm a little bit partial to the West, as you may have been able to see and (laughs) tell from my conversation, but it's just, it's an incredible opportunity to get to see parts of the United States that we might have missed. My goal, I want to go to Teddy Roosevelt National Park in North Dakota, just because I've never been there. (laughs) And I think, hmm, I think why maybe that's why, why not? You know, you you're only you only live once. So I think that turning our attention to the abundance of parks, uh, and we've just added a new one in West Virginia, is a, a spectacular opportunity. I think we tend to think of our parks as being only the the beauty spots, the Grand Canyons, Yosemite, and so forth. There are really, really so many units in the National Park Service. There are national seashores. There are national lakes. It is amazing how many opportunities there are to get out and appreciate our country. Wow, what a great way to end the episode. Thank you so much for the insightful comments across the board. I really appreciate you coming on the show. You're welcome. Um, Take care. Catherine shared some great information and speculations about the 2021 travel climate. Clearly, it's difficult to predict what 2021 will have in store for us. Thought on where and how we travel is speculative and based on COVID-19 vaccination and testing practices. Mask wearing regulations and other safety measures have been implemented by airlines, but it's unclear how or if these rules will persist beyond the pandemic. Also, there's likely to be a surge in destinations requiring proof of vaccination or a negative COVID-19 test contingent to entry. Starting January 26th, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has ordered that all flyers traveling to the U.S. from abroad will have to show proof of a negative COVID-19 test before boarding their flight. The chairman of Australia's Qantas Airlines said that this coming November, proof of vaccination would be required for passengers to board flights. However, We're unsure if Qantas will move forward in formalizing this or if other airlines will follow. A great way to safely travel is exploring local and nearby destinations, especially parks and natural areas. Spending time in nature is a fantastic way to unplug and to satisfy your travel itch while maintaining social distancing practices. In the podcast description, I included links to the two articles referenced in today's episode, as well as other resources with pertinent information. Make sure to check out more of Catherine Ham's travel writing in the LA Times. Thank you for listening and remember, stay safe, stay sane, and stay well. All the best, Kat.